0: subscribe to the Hit That Line podcast network. Brought to you by Breeden RV Center. Breeden RV Center. Family owned and operated. A no pressure laid back atmosphere and always home of the free maintenance for life. You're listening to the Hog Talk Podcast part of the Believe and Hit That Line podcast network.
1: We're on the line. It's the voice of the Arkansas Razorbacks,
0: shut there. A former guest of the show, Coach Mike Neighbors from the Arkansas women's basketball team.
1: We have from ESPN's Around the Horn, highly questionable. Also, a two-time Dan Levitard Show Sui winner and a <laughs> former heptathlete at Cornell, Sarah Spade.
0: And we are happy to be joined by Martrell Spate, Mr. Phil
1: Elson, the voice of Razorback baseball and the Ladybacks.
0: What's up, Razorback Nation? Welcome into episode 199 of the one and only Hog Talk podcast live from the Hyman Services studios. I'm your host, Kyle Sutherland. We thank you as always for joining us. And if whether you're listening on Apple, Spotify, iHeartRadio, please be sure hit that subscribe button if you have not already. And also leave us a written review and a five star rating it helps us get our name out there and continue to reach more people. The show is brought to you as always by our friends at bet online, they've got the best wagers, whatever you're wanting to bet on, they have you odds wagers. If it's sports bachelorette, any of those random things that you can bet on now, they have it for you there. And so it's free to sign up, visit the website today and use your mobile device to join and receive 50% off your welcome bonus from your first deposit. So before that next tip tip off face off or pitch head over to bet online and start playing today, bet online, your online sports book experts got another great show ahead for you guys Kevin will be talking with Troy Eklund of the SEC Network Plus. And many of you heard him during the um, abundance amount of games that the Razorbacks played on SEC Network Plus. It seems like we got quite a bit of those this year, along with many of the other SEC baseball teams. just kind of works out that way. You can't have all the same teams on one channel on the main network. And so we were really blessed with some great commentary from Dolan and Eklund that we had this year, Brett Dolan, of course, his uh, Troy's partner right there in the booth, and uh, they both did an incredible job this year. And Kevin and him will, will wrap up the baseball season. I know we did that on on Monday show, but going to do one final one just kind of to pick the brain of Troy there, and then in segment two. Yours truly, will be interviewing former Razorback wide receiver and track athlete Richard Smith. Got a lot to talk about with him. Richard was a very decorated athlete, being a good, a very, very good wide receiver on the field in the days of Matt Jones, George Wilson, Cedric Cobbs, Jason Peters, Sean Andrews, those early 2000 teams, and also was a national champion uh, runner for Coach, Mc, Coach McDonald, uh, John McDonald that we lost a couple of weeks ago, just a legend, not only in Arkansas athletics, but just collegiate athletics overall. Some would say he's the best coach in all of college athletics history. And so I'm going to get a take from Richard, uh, what he meant to him, and just the legacy that, that he left on college athletics overall. And so without further ado, I'll go ahead and shut my yap, and we'll get right to Troy and Kevin.
2: Welcome back to episode 199 of the Hog Talk podcast. I'm the coach, Kevin Bohannon, and joining me today, uh, Mr. Troy Eklund, former Razorback baseball player and current SEC color analyst. Uh, We got to listen to Troy a lot this year, uh, streaming, and this is his second time back with us, so welcome,
1: Troy. Hey, thanks a lot, Kevin. Glad to be here.
2: So, I know we're pretty much over the sting of what happened, you know, Sunday against NC State, not advancing um tell me about it uh when, when of course you're watching the game and you're really dialed in what what was the feeling immediately after
1: uh, you know immediately after it was i think everybody was just still in shock you, you kind of felt that uh when that the, the game was tied with with the home run uh by Caden wallace you you felt like okay here's here's the momentum shift that we needed and i even was asked about okay well would would you have run Kevin Copps back out again? And I said, you know, he's your best player. He's proven that he, he hadn't really lost any velocity or looked like his stuff was still good. Uh, you know, so I probably would have done the same thing. And, you know, I can't – you can always go back and second-guess yourself, but if I'm the coach, I'll probably do the same thing that DBH did.
2: Yeah, and I've said the same thing before. A lot of people had asked me. Uh, we're actually up in Fayetteville playing right now. So I, I understand the coaching aspect of it a little bit. And it's like I told people, you you ride your horse as long as you can until he bucks you off. And some people said, well, if it's a dead horse, it doesn't matter. You know, Kevin Copps is 24 years old. He's already been through a a really good, you know, as far as amount of – his surgery took a lot out of him, but he knows his body better than anybody right now.
1: Yeah, I kind of think about what Kevin Copps was able to do in the shape he was in. We talk a lot to the staff and talking to Blaine Kinsley, the, the strength and conditioning coach. He said one thing, he goes, nobody outworks Kevin in the weight room. He said he was yeah. just in absolutely phenomenal shape. And the other thing I think about with Kevin, I almost kind of relate it to a, somebody that is trained for a marathon or a triathlete or something like that. Because you're sitting there going, well, you can't run 26 miles or you can't be a triathlete and do all the things that they're expected to do. But people train for it and do it. And I think that that was just how Kevin has worked that hard and trained his body. I think his throwing motion had a lot to do with it where, uh, you know, didn't have a lot of stress. Cause you ever heard him talk. He said, my arm's not sore. He goes, it was just my body body muscles. And and, and I think I just related to something like that. Those athletes that are just like at the pinnacle of what they do.
2: And something, a lot of people don't realize how great of an athlete he is. He's got a 40 plus inch vertical and that's in season, you know, Blaine Kinsley always puts those up there, and I'm always, you know, it looks, seeing all the pitchers up there, Jackson Wiggins, 36, Cade Monk, 37, 39, uh, they're just very good athletes.
1: Yeah, they really are, and and they work really, really hard, and uh, I I tell you, I know that they had a great facility that was on the the back of the, the Tyson Track facility, but boy, this new player development center, it's going to take these guys to the next level. And I personally spoke to Blaine about that and, you know, talking about Blaine Kinsley, and he said that he was able to design the weight room the way he wanted it to. That's right. And um, it's it's going to be a next-level training facility.
2: Yeah, and I know that a lot – I know the players – I talked to Caden Wallace this week. He's headed up to Cape Cod League. They're, they're excited about the new center because – it's not just going to make their life even better as a, as a baseball player, but the whole student experience up there, and it's going to help get kids on campus. And this is prime recruiting time for these guys, so hopefully that will play a part in that.
1: I think you hit the nail on the head as far as recruiting. Everybody talks about what are the pieces that Arkansas is you know, going to need to replace, and you, know, you can't really go individually, but I think if you just kind of look at it in a broad uh, picture – and i played minor league baseball it is it's it hasn't changed that much facilities are a little bit better from a from a stadium standpoint but not really from a player development standpoint uh you you might be lucky if you get an indoor batting cage somewhere or two that's right yeah and this facility is is going to be just absolutely amazing and there's the people that haven't followed the the Razorbacks that much this is a major league facility on a college campus and there's probably 90 plus percent of minor league teams maybe maybe in triple a you might get something even remotely close to that but I think that's going to be a game changer and my prediction has been within the next one to three years that Arkansas is going to win the national championship and I honestly feel like that they're going to kind of get on a roll. I'm not going to say, hey, year in, year out, they're going to win the national championship. But right. I think that with, with that facility, Dave Van Horn wants to win a national championship. I've talked to him personally, he, not, not this year, but just in years past. And he said, I want to win it for the, the Arkansas fans, for the state of Arkansas, and for Coach DeBryant. Because Coach right. DeBryant gave him his first opportunity as a graduate assistant. And that's how far Dave and I go back is he was a graduate, graduate assistant whenever I played at yeah. Arkansas. So um, he still has that fire in his stomach, and he's, he's a long way from being finished.
2: Yeah, and I know Coach Van Horn just had his exit interviews with his players and kind of a 2022 meeting, and we'll talk about that here in just a second. But uh, re- really quick, I want to recap the season. Uh, it was a disappointing ending. I think you'll agree with me on that. But it wasn't a disappointing season from the standpoint of you're projected anywhere from 8th to 22nd in the nation, depending on what poll you looked at, and anywhere from 3rd to 4th in the SEC West. So uh, take me back to the beginning and how everything unfolded
3: in your eyes.
1: Yeah, I think so. I think the reason why the analysts kind of ranked Arkansas down the totem pole, so to speak, is it was the the lack of returning starting pitching they didn't have the star quality everybody always goes back to you know kumar rocker and jack Leiter, or if you look at like an old miss you had Gunnar hoagland and uh the casey yeah so you had teams like that were expected to do so much better even you know florida and tommy mace and the people they had in their staff so i think that's why arkansas was ranked lower uh, I think they really came out uh, and really set the tone early in that uh, tournament they played in Arlington. They only beat three really good uh, Big 12 teams. And I think that really kind of got people's, uh, you know, got them on the radar of, of nationally. But I think just the consistent, consistency of this team, the ability for them to just not ever give up. They're a team that came out and worked hard. I know the coaching staff, constantly said that these guys were they were just excited to be a practice I think you could probably say that with about most collegiate baseball players but they never let that fire die they had at the beginning of the season I think you know that kind of kicked over from COVID and you know what the season got canceled in 2020 but this yep. team was just thrilled to be on the field I think they got along well as teammates and and were really friends and you see them posting things like they were truly like a family and some teams kind of have some chemistry and some just have it to another level. And I think this team had a lot of, of team chemistry, but overall, I think that they had a, you know, just unbelievable season. If you, you kind of step back and say, do you think this team's going, going to win the conference title outright? Now pre- people probably didn't think that probably people didn't think, okay, they're going to win the conference tournament. And they, so those are a couple of things, you know, obviously, I think that they had won the conference Uh, title outright since 1999 Um, you know one of the guys I work with have to give him a shout out that was the team that Rodney Nye carried on his that's right he was the third third baseman and pitcher and was all around just absolute stud but uh, that uh, that's a big statement to say that took the the program that long to win an outright uh, conference just shows how amazing the conference is and just the ability to never lose a series I mean you go back and you think that's that's pretty amazing in, in the best uh, college baseball conference in the country.
2: Yeah, and if you look at – and I want to talk a little bit about how the team has changed since Van Horn's first trip to the World Series in 2004. He had another number 45 on that team with the rubber arm. He had Charlie Boyce, and it was just a different makeup of a team. And I think over the years what's a testament to Coach Van Horn is how he's adapted to different teams – and push the buttons to where he could get the best performance out of them.
1: Yeah, I, I think like you hear about most coaches. I, I definitely think he's mellowed uh, over the years uh,
2: a little bit. But, yeah,
1: but but that fire's still there, and uh, he'll he'll uh, he'll let you know it when he needs to. But I, I think that his ability to re- recruit the type of players he does, he has a lot of trust in them, and and the, like one of the statements I I heard him say over and over again is. He goes, we, we didn't have to motivate this team. He said, I right. didn't have to, I didn't have to like try to get on them and spark them or anything like that. He goes, they just did it themselves. And I think that shows a lot about players like Casey Opitz and, and Kevin Copps wasn't a, a verbal guy like a Casey Opitz. And neither like, you know, same thing like a Christian Franklin. But I think when you had the kind of work ethic that he did being, a, a, you know, his sixth year in the program. He kind of set the tone for the pitchers, and, and then, you know, Opitz obviously was the, the verbal leader of that, of that team.
2: Yeah, so let's take, like, take a look at what we got coming up. All right, we got the draft coming up July 11th through the 13th, which we will cover on here. Um, anyway, I'm thinking anywhere from three to five signees go. Um, the Peyton Stovall out of Holton, Louisiana, is a top 30 prospect. Max Muncy and Braylon Bishop are the other two. And then looking at a Hagen Smith, the left-handed pitcher from Texas that had Tommy John uh, about 18 months ago, he threw four four straight no hitters in high school ball this year. So, uh, well, how do you think the draft is going to impact this team going into next year?
1: You know, you I think I'm I'm pretty sure that the draft is 20 rounds this year up from the five it, rounds yep. a year ago. So obviously that is it's going to you know have a broader broader scope, but I still think that. I think Arkansas might get a few players, maybe even a few that you mentioned. Now, if somebody gets like really big money, that's really tough to turn down. Yeah. But again, when you talk about from a from a player development standpoint, the the new that new facility is is going to be a game changer because I think if you get guys up there and say, you know what, I can go to college, and if I'm going to make seven hundred thousand dollars out of high school. I can maybe double or even triple the amount of money if I go to 3 years at Arkansas with the facilities with the coaching staff they have uh, Nate Thompson, you know, Matt Hobbs and, and coach Van Horn. It's uh, it's going to be a tough decision for some of those guys and so it'll be it'll be interesting. I, again, I wouldn't be surprised if they don't get one maybe two guys that the the experts so to speak are yeah. thinking that 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 they're going to lose to the draft.
2: Yep. And of course we'll have to Replace El Capitan, uh, Casey Elbert's back there, but I think Dylan Leach is going to be really good, having learned under him for a year. And then, who knows? Charlie Welch may be, you know, a, a good relief. I know they don't really have anybody coming in for the twenty-one class. I don't think uh, so. Charlie might settle into that DH role, but you got to replace a, you know, a good amount of your defense. Um, let, let's assume Caden Wallace stays in the outfield. You got to replace two spots out there. Who knows about Jalen Battles? I think he's gone, but uh, uh, some people have said that it might not be so easy. Uh, I don't know how many teams he's talked to. A lot of these guys right now, if they're prospects, they have a good idea where they're going to go in the draft. So uh, let's talk about some of the um, early, you know, thoughts on the lineup next year.
1: Yeah, I, I agree. I, you know, let's just start it with Dylan Leach and with in my position doing, doing most of the broadcast, I had the pleasure of, of you know watching Dylan Lynch catch. And it was pretty amazing that never, I never consciously had a thought to say, wow, this guy is so much farther behind than Casey Opitz, Cause everybody knows what kind of job Casey Opens did. You know, I, I think hands down the best, the best defensive catcher. And I think when you talk about defense, you're talking about blocking, uh, you know, calling a game, Throwing uh, yeah. the, the bases, uh, you know, I think he was hands down. I remember Kyle Peterson talking several times about, "Hey, this guy can throw and catch in the big leagues today," and he was that right. kind of catcher. And and I never, I never really felt like, "Wow, we are we are taking four steps backwards when we pre- play this kid, not only who's a true freshman, but should have been a senior in high school." That's and right. I think that's one about his testimony, to his ability, his testimony. You kind of touched on it, his ability to just absorb. The what Casey Opitz did behind the play and just learn how to be a catcher. But uh, I I think he's going to be really good. I think uh, I saw uh, toward the end of the season some flashes that uh, Dave Van Horn talked to me about. He said he can, he actually uh, hits really, really well right handed, Dylan Leach, but average left handed. And the last few at bats, he hit all right handed. You know, yeah, I pointed that out.
2: Yeah, yeah.
1: and uh, so I said he he he's gonna be right-handed a hitter. He's gonna be a really really good player. Uh, you go around to first base, uh, Slavens. You know, I don't know if he's gonna be gone or not. What, one thing that a lot of people may not realize is, is that Brady came out of high school. You really like Robert Moore, like Dylan Leach when he went to yep. Arkansas State. So he is younger. Um, he'll be kind of a flip of the coin. You know, there's some teams that may take a chance on him because he does have you know great great power and, and and has really developed as a good first baseman i think he's going to be gone but you just never know i could almost see charlie welsh playing over there a little bit as well yeah i tell you it's second base and and i'm kind of going around the horn without really knowing what's going to happen from freshmen like yeah. kind of like what david horn always says you know freshmen haven't ever nope. they, haven't, they haven't done it yet so i'm not even going to really consider them
2: talk about it yep
1: but, but there's some there's going to be some good ones coming in but uh, I think Ethan Bates is going to be your second baseman. I think Robert Moore is going to be your shortstop. I think he, Ethan Bates is going to be a really good player. It's
2: impressive. Yeah. Uh,
1: he, he, I just watched him. I, like I said, I had the luxury of being at the park way earlier before everybody else was and got the chance to watch infield, outfield on a daily basis. Very strong arm. He would have, he even had a strong arm from the outfield. You know, he got a few games yeah. under his belt in the outfield. Um, I think he's going to be a really good – Uh, all-around player i think when he starts learning how to hit the ball to the opposite field a little bit better um you know he 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 could he i could see him hitting for an average you know upwards to 300 even like next year yeah i think he's gonna be really
0: we had one more question left for troy but there were some connection issues there so we'll go ahead and cut it off there we're gonna hit a commercial break real quick and then we will talk with richard smith stay with us With American National, you get a dedicated agent who will help you make well-informed decisions about protecting your lifestyle. Call us today for a free review of your commercial, home, and auto policies, or to learn more about our customizable farm and ranch insurance. Let the Atkins Agency be your agency of choice. You can visit us on the web at theatkinsagency.com, call us at 501-428-0877, or connect with us through Facebook. Go Hogs! Located in Fayetteville, Rapology is your top spot for banners, signs, and wraps. From commercial fleet wraps, color changes, vinyl decals, and much more, they take care of you in a timely and professional manner. Call Rapology today at 479 368 6490. Again, that's 479 368 6490. Tackle your to do list without breaking your back or getting your hands dirty by calling Heinemann Services. Located in northwest Arkansas, Heinman Services is your premier company to get those projects done that you've been putting off. Whether small remodels, lawn care, carpentry, and much more, they take care of you in a timely manner with exceptional customer service. Call Corey and his crew today at 479-347-9336. That's 479-347-9336. We're back on episode 199 of the Hog Talk Podcast. Kyle Sutherland here with you, and we now go to the Workman's Travel Center hotline where we are joined by former Razorback wide receiver and track athlete Richard Smith. Richard, really appreciate you coming on here. Welcome, and I look forward to talking with you.
3: Hey, appreciate you having me.
0: And I know that you were up in Northwest Arkansas. You stayed there, I guess, once your uh, pro career had concluded. I know you played some in the NFL and then in NFL Europe after your college career, which we'll get into. But I know you were actually teaching and coaching now. And so tell us a little bit about that, um, where where you're at, what school you work for, and and how long have you been at it?
3: Well, uh, that's kind of funny right now. Um, I'm actually... At the, the last eight years, I've been working at the University and Athletic Department and um, working with the student-athletes and academics. So um, when I got done playing, like you said before, I went into coaching and teaching when I was back in Kansas City, and I did that for about seven years. Um, and uh, I, I loved it. I love coaching football track. But when me and my wife decided to move back to Northwest Arkansas in 2012, um, I I, I found I found a job at the university being around student athletes is something that I love to do. And being around my university, being an alumnus, it was something that was kind of perfect for me, a perfect fit. And so that's what I've been doing the last uh, almost nine years now.
0: And there were some talented wide receivers, particularly in the 90s and 2000s, that came from the state of Louisiana. And some that come to mind first are Anthony Lucas, J.J. Metters, And I would also put you in that category with them. And, and growing up for you, I would think it's probably safe to say that you dreamt of becoming an LSU Tiger. Is, is that a, a pretty fair assumption?
3: Um, yeah, you could say that.
0: Yeah. Did they? So, like, who were some of the schools that recruited you out, outside of Arkansas when, uh, when you were going through there?
3: So this is a this is kind of a, a funny story. Uh, I, I pretty much had offers to all the major schools in my area. I had offers from LSU, Arkansas, Georgia, Alabama, Florida, Miami, uh, Southern Miss, uh, Kansas State, um, just some, some of the bigger schools to name. Um, obviously, you know, growing up a Louisiana kid, um, watching the Tigers play. I just think it was just bad timing for me um, when I was coming out of school. I, I didn't think I was a good fit for the the program then. Um, they really wasn't. They weren't who they are now or who they have been in the past. They were more of a run heavy team, and as a wide receiver, it didn't it didn't fit with what I was trying to do.
0: And one thing we've actually had Coach Nutt on the show before. We've had uh, a bunch of his former players on. And one thing I always ask it's it's no question and no secret that he is a very passionate and energetic guy and a really funny guy too. What was your first yeah. ever impression of him?
3: Well, I I think it's when I finally got on campus. Obviously, during the recruiting process, he he did he did a great job recruiting me. Uh, I think. More so than any other school because at the time I was big on LSU, I was big on Florida and Miami, and then all of a sudden Arkansas came out of nowhere and this guy with all his energy, he was actually calling me multiple times a week and you know giving me a lot of attention, but he always he always had that um about it you know, but I, I I can really remember when I got on campus just going through uh, going to uh, freshman orientation. getting ready ready for a fall camp and just listening to this guy talk to our football team um, pre-practice. And he would have you so ready just to go to practice. I couldn't imagine what it would be like going to a a game, you know, listening to his pregame. So I I was jacked up my first practice to get out there and just to perform.
0: And at the time that you played, you guys had some incredible talents on there. Matt Jones ended up being a first-round pick and played receiver for a couple of years. Cedric Cobbs, George Wilson, that was a very underrated wide receiver that became a safety in the NFL. Sean Andrews, maybe the best offensive lineman to ever put on a Razorback uniform. And then Jason Peters, who was a hefty tight end then that became a consistent all-pro left tackle. So you guys had some players on that team that went to on to accomplish immense success. And I could imagine with all of you guys playing on the same offense, it made each other's lives pretty easy.
3: Yeah. Playing an offense was pretty easy. Obviously um, we went from a more pass heavy or not, I'd say more balanced offense to a more run heavy offense when Matt Jones came onto the scene, but everybody, you know, everybody got their touches. Um, like you just said, Jason Peters was a tight end that probably should have played left tackle in college, would have made himself a lot more money. But it is what it is. You know, people in college, they want to play different positions that they came out of high school to play. Sean Alexander was a, a freaking beast for us. Um, I mean, our whole team, Fred Talley, Sid Cobb, uh, De'Aris Howard, just guys in the backfield. And me and George are outside with Sparky. And with Matt Jones doing his thing, the Cor- the Corey Birmingham, just guys that I played with, uh, our team. I mean, obviously that 2002 season was a, a great year for us. We went to the SEC championship. Uh, we should have been ten and two instead of nine and three, in my opinion. That that six overtime game in Tennessee, we should have won in the third overtime. But it is what it is. Um, I think uh, with with Houston, he he always had us ready to go. I can always say that.
0: Yeah, that 02 season was pretty crazy. You got the 2 7 overtime games, plus, you've got the Tennessee. Those were all in the same season, right? Kentucky. Oh no! I'm sorry. Ole Miss was in 2001, and then so I guess 2002 yeah. was the uh, was the Tennessee, and I believe the Kentucky was that year. I can't I get them all mixed up, but I know it was at least around that time. So you guys played in in some pretty uh, some of the longest games. I, th- I think that along with the LSU and A and M game from 2018 yeah. or 19 is the longest in history. What, what was it like after that? I know that you know the Tennessee game was was a disappointing one, but. Ole Miss and and Kentucky in particular outside of being completely drained afterwards what was that like winning the longest games in NCAA history
3: well when you're in the in the moment you're just trying to keep you know keep everything rolling the right way Uh, we were just trying to make a play to, to score another touchdown to or another two-point conversion to keep this thing going. Um, I remember the old Miss game in 01, man. I was, you know, in the end of the fourth quarter, I was ready to, you know, go to the locker room, uh, you know, take my stuff off, go to the bathroom, do all this stuff, and all of a sudden something happened, and we, we tied the game up, and now we're back out here, and we're out here for, you know, seven overtimes, and then, like I said, in the Tennessee game, it was the same thing, you know. Um, it's, it, it takes a lot out of you. It's almost like playing a whole other half of football, in those overtime games, um, like you said, we played in we played in two of the longest games ever, and you put in that six overtime game. It's almost dang near as long um, as the the record right now with the LSU Texas A&M game.
0: And right before y'all went to that SEC championship game against Georgia, that you talked about, had one of the most thrilling games in Arkansas football history, and the the Miracle on Markham Part One. I'll be honest with you, Richard. I was sixth grade at that time. I gave up on that when I thought that we lost. I am I'm, I'm ashamed to admit that, but I gave up on it. Mm-hmm. I went to play video games and my mom started going crazy <laughs> after Fred had that long touchdown. And then of course Matt Jones hits to Corey Birmingham and it was it was very poetic and it was almost predictable what the gazette headline was gonna be. Jones to Birmingham, Birmingham to Atlanta. Talk about the rush of that game! Like we said, you already had some games earlier in that season; those long overtime games that were just extremely exhilarating. But you guys are going to the second SEC championship in school history. At that point, what was that like?
3: Well, it was it was awesome. Obviously, being a, a kid from Louisiana playing in LSU to go to go to the L- 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 SEC championship game was obviously a highlight of my college career. A lot of people. Um, I mean, some people bring this up, but you know, we were backed up, and I ended up catching a pass, um, about fifty yard pass right before we set up the uh, the pass to the Corey. And so I'm just like, I never thought the ball was going to come to me. Um, the play, two plays before the one to the Corey, because I'm just running a straight go route, and I'm I know they're not going to let me get behind them, and the DB thought that I was going to you know, stop or do something. And they saw, I guess, George do an out out route. And he just stopped. And I'm behind him 10 yards. And I'm just like, wow. And the whole time the ball was in the air, I'm just like, just catch it. Just catch it. Don't try to run. Don't do nothing. Just catch the ball. You know, it's one of those things, like, the ball was in the air forever. And um, luckily, two plays later, we threw a ball and DeCorey caught it. And I remember I was the first person there because we were running double posts. And I was the first person there to tackle him in the end zone. We got a penalty and had to kick like this super long extra point. Luckily, that went in and off we were to Atlanta.
0: Well, and then the next year, probably the most exciting game that I can think of, at least from my childhood, that nobody ever talks about. And I actually said this on a show last summer when we were talking about some of the top five most underrated games in Razorback history was the Alabama game the next year, the last time that we have actually won at Bryant Denny Stadium. And I had so I had a lot of friends at this particular time, I wasn't sure what it meant. But I had a lot of friends that were Q-Dogs in college, and I remember you caught that touchdown. I think it was the touchdown to tie it, or maybe uh, maybe the yeah. one of the first ones in overtime. But I remember you did the Q-Dog sign, and then I later figured out what yeah. that was. But that play actually made you one of my favorite Razorbackers. I'm not trying to brown-nose here. I'm just saying that play really actually made you one of my favorite receivers because I had wanted to beat Alabama so bad, and I knew that that play right there, you guys came back from 31 to 10 down. And uh, just yep. a phenomenal – Come back! You always knew that Houston Nut teams were never going to give up. That was a question. It didn't matter how much talent there was or wasn't. And I, I know that then I know Alabama didn't really have a good year, but they had a lot of talent on that team. Maybe some people would say that it was the lack of coaching or whatever have you. But I know that that was probably just another one that you guys you, you realized that there was a lot of those guys on the team from the previous couple of seasons where you had had all those multiple overtime games. So it was probably just like another time for y'all.
3: Yeah, I, I remember I, I watched that. I, I get to watch that highlight like every year we play Alabama because um, that's the last time we beat Alabama in Alabama was 2003. I caught the touchdown, the center's the overtime, um, and we ended up winning the game in, I think, triple overtime. Um, it, it To beat Alabama in Alabama in their backyard is one of the toughest things to do. But like you just said, our team – was one of those teams that we were in these overtime games, these seven, six overtime games. We weren't going to quit no matter what until uh, it was uh, zeros on the, on the time, on the scoreboard. We were going to fight until the end. And, you know, finally uh, he, uh, Coach Nutt would uh, loosen up, you know, the reins off of Matt Jones, and he would let us sling the ball around a little bit, and we got the, we got back in the game. That happened in a couple of games that, that season, 2003.
0: After the conclusion of that season, you guys, so you guys won the Independence Bowl over Missouri, and I know that, was it right after that that you signed an undrafted free agent contract with Kansas City? Was that the team that you, I know you played for the Chiefs for a little bit. Is that where you went initially right after college?
3: Yeah, right after college, after the draft, uh, the Chiefs called me in the, uh, what was it the late fifth in the sixth round, and they drafted two receivers that same year, and they went with other guys, and, They ended up bringing me into camp, and I ended up um, signing as a free agent, then ended up making a 53-man roster my rookie year, ended up playing in six or seven games that year, and being around for two years with the Chiefs before I went up to Seattle and Washington.
0: And you also spent some time in Europe. I actually remember watching those NFL Europe games on on, uh, NFL Network What was it like over there playing? I've I've talked to a couple of former Razorback basketball players that have and currently do play overseas, and that was one of my main questions to them is, what is the culture like in terms of, like, you know, obviously you've got the different languages and just completely different cultures than what we're used to in America. Now, was it kind of like a little bubble for you guys that were playing, like that were with teams affiliated with the NFL, or did you really just have to adapt with the cultures that uh, were over there?
3: Uh I would think it'd be like the la- well the latter you just um I would think it would be like a bubble that's what we were kind of in. They had us in a hotel we were all together um they they gave us specific routes to go in the city, where not to go where to go uh, different restaurants and they also showed us where. The restaurants that had American food, American food, like the KFC, the McDonald's, Burger King, things over there. In like NFL, Europe, we were all in, in, the, in, the, in the country of Germany. And um, there was one team in uh, Amsterdam, Netherlands, but all the teams were in Germany. Um, the language was kind of hard to pick up. So I, I knew how to say certain things to ask uh, people, did they speak English uh, or Dutch? Because it's kind of broken English. And uh, I really don't remember any of that stuff now, but it was, it was different, but now that I look back at it, it was a great experience to have, um, to get out of your comfort zone, to learn, to learn a little bit of their language, to learn a little bit of their culture, and also just to get the opportunity to play football to uh, better yourself, elongate your career.
0: I want to circle back uh, to what we were talking about with your Razorback career. And one of your teammates during your time in Fayetteville was Dow Loggins, and a guy that I remember even when he was playing, he was the, the starting uh, field goal holder. And people would talk about just what a brilliant offensive mind he is. And that obviously came true with him going to the NFL and being offensive coordinator for mm-hmm. a bunch of various teams. And so he's definitely got a tremendous resume coming in as the tight ends coach now. And you would expect him to be a heavy part of the offense with what Kendall Bryles is doing. What kind of offensive mind and just what kind of coach are the Razorbacks getting in in Dow Loggins, your former
3: teammate? Well, Dow was kind of a coach when he was playing. Obviously, like you said, he was our our holder for four years. Um, He ended up getting in a couple games late and some blowout games where he could play quarterback. But he was really, if, if it wasn't for his, his stature, his size, Dow could really play the game of football. Um, he was a very, very smart individual. Like I said, he was kind of an uh, uh, on-field coach, I think, our last two, my last two years, 2002, 2003. He finished in 2004. But he was one of those guys that would, um, after Coach Nutt would do his thing, he would come over and tell you, hey, we got to do this, this, and this. And he would let you know during the game certain things that were going on. So I always knew that was had a bright future at coaching um, even before he was a coach. And I'm, I'm super excited to, uh, to have him back. I knew um, I, I went and visited him when George w- was at Tennessee Titans. He was the offensive coordinator there, so I ended up seeing him after a game. And um, he said that I, I told him I would love to see him back in the red and white, raise back. And he said it was pretty much the only place that he would come and do college football would be the coach at the University of Arkansas.
0: And one of the last things I want to talk about with you is um, the coach John McDonnell, a uh, just a giant in all of. I was talking about in, in my intro earlier that. Just a, Not just a giant for the Arkansas Razorbacks in co- collegiate track, but collegiate athletics overall. And I know that you were on a couple of those national championship teams for him, and we would definitely be remiss if we didn't talk about him. 42 national titles. He's got more national titles than any coach in college athletics history. And w- w- I know that, that Coach Nutt had a lot of uh, players that, that ran for him, and you, Batman Carroll, Lawrence Richardson, that's three of the names that come at me off the bat, but talk about the relationship that you had with coach McDonald and what he meant to you
3: Well, with coach McDonald, he meant everything. Um I think my generation of athletes, I love to be pushed. I love I love the coach that would push me to my limit. Um I didn't need my coach to sugarcoat anything. I didn't need my coach to you know, to try to hug me and, and, and all, all this other stuff. I, I needed to know what I needed to do to be the best athlete on the football field and on the track field. Um, I didn't have particularly have too many interactions, you know, with Coach McDonald because obviously I was playing football. But when I was at track, I was at track. And when we would go to track meets like the SEC indoor, SEC outdoor nationals, he would always come and have a team meeting he would look everybody in the eye. He would say, I expect this from you. I expect this from you. I expect you to score this many points. I expect you to go score this many points. And it was one of those things where, like, this, he really depends on me to score these points so we can win. And so that had me like, that had me thinking, like, I thought I was just another guy on the track team. I could just coast it. I love, I love track, I love football. But obviously, if I had to pick one, I probably would have been a lot better at the sport. But going from football to track was kind of difficult, all the losing weight and getting in, getting in track shape. Um, but my relationship with him, I remember I won. Um, I got second in conference, SEC conference in 2002. Nobody was expecting me to jump as far as I jump. And I put a jump out there where I was, you know, six inches from being the league, winning the thing. And I remember the first thing, first person over was uh, Coach McDonald to give me a big hug. I have a picture of it at home now. And um, it was just one of the greatest feelings in the, in, in the world, you know, in my college career, track career, is that the head coach, this big time, in my mind, this, this, this big guy winning all these national titles, he really doesn't – I'm not on track scholarship. He really doesn't have to do anything with me. And he's coming over, giving me a big high five and a hug, saying congratulations. And I was just – I was kind of starstruck, you know, but this is my coach. And I was just so happy when that happened. I'm just I'm, – I'm, I'm forever grateful for him and Coach Booth and the other coaches at the University of Arkansas track team for giving me an opportunity to come out and run. Um, he gave me, like you said, Lawrence Richardson – uh, Eddie Jackson, Amad Carroll, Fred Talley. He gave all of us the opportunity just to come out there and see what we can do. And if we did well, he would let us go and compete.
0: We've been talking with former Razorback wide receiver and track runner. L- uh, almost said Lawrence Richardson. We were talking about him, Richard Smith. Sorry about that. And Richard, before we get out of here, uh, I want to ask you. You know, I always ask the, the former football players that I would talk to, especially with the new regime under Sam Pittman that got going last year after you know a really tough two years under Chad Morris. How do you like the direction that the football program is going right now? I know that we're doing really well in recruiting. Saw a lot of things that we liked last year, and a lot returning on defense. And then of course you got the offensive weapons like Traylon Burks and and Traylon Smith. A lot, of, a lot of really positives that things are looking up.
3: Yeah, I, I was ecstatic when Sam got hired. Obviously, I I, I was here when he was on um, Bielema's staff. And Sam was that same guy that he was when he was uh, just the offensive line coach. I shouldn't say just offensive line coach. But when he was a coach on Bielema's staff, same personable, big, big energy guy. Um, look you straight in your eyes. I think he's a straight shooter. Um, I I loved it when they hired him back because I felt like he would bring a a toughness back to Arkansas that I shouldn't say we we lost, but we just didn't show it on the field on Saturdays. And obviously we saw what happened last year with a a 10-game SEC schedule and winning three of those games and really should have been, you know, five of those games, um, in my opinion. but I think what they're doing with the staff over there, I think all those guys are going to jail well, the new staff members. And I think they, they got some great coaches over there to coach these kids to get them in the best situation now, like you said, with uh, Dow coming over and all the other coaches moving into positions. I, I really look forward to this, this year being a successful year, getting into a bowl game and actually playing, you know, successful SEC West football.
0: Well, Richard, it's been a pleasure talking with you, man. always love getting the insight from the former players on on whether it be coaches or some of the great moments at that time. And uh, you've had some great stories, and we sure appreciate you hopping on.
3: Hey, no problem. Thank you.
0: Well, guys, we thank you, as always, for tuning in. Be sure and tune in on Monday as we hit our 200th episode. And like I said at the intro, if you could please be sure to subscribe, rate, review. That'll help us out a lot. For Richard Smith, my name is Kyle Sutherland. We will catch you next time.